Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood. Welcome to Luke 21. We've got a big topic on hand today. Our title is Tartarus and the Flood. Don't worry about Tartarus. I'll explain it in a minute. We're in 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're looking very carefully at verses 4 and 5. Just a quick review. The overall context of what's going on in 2 Peter and what makes biblical prophecy so important for Peter's argument is that the false teachers were denying the certainty of the great judgment that would occur at the second coming of Christ. So in their attempt to escape the notion of judgment, which goes on even in our day, they denied the second coming, the reality of the second coming. And the passage that we're looking at today, as well as other passages in 2 Peter, is trying to assure the Catholic believers that the certainty of judgment will fall and in particularly, it would fall on those who allow themselves to be dominated by sexual sins and encourage it. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, just jumping ahead a few verses, it speaks about the judgment, quote, especially on those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So that's our context. But here's our two important verses today, and these are important, particularly one word in here, and what difference a word will make. We'll see. 2 Peter 2, verse 4, for if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of nether gloom to be kept until the judgment, for he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven other persons when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, there are four dots here, so to speak, in these two verses, and our goal is to connect these four dots. And dot one, angels, dot two, pits of nether gloom, dot three, Noah, dot four, the flood. Now, it's pretty easy to combine Noah and the flood. Uh, pits of nether gloom, well, what exactly is that? And what do angels have to do with Noah and the flood? And the answer to this is revealed almost immediately once you get the translation of verse 4 correct. It's not correct in most translations, or it's not accurate. And the reason the translators chose not to make it accurate, when I announced that this episode was about Tartarus and the flood, you're thinking, what is Steve talking about now? Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. And in verse 4, where I'm looking at the Catholic 
edition of the Revised Standard Version, where it says God did not spare the angels when they sinned. So somehow angels sinned in conjunction with Noah and the flood, and it says God cast them into hell. Well, the text doesn't say hell. The text in Greek very, very, very clearly says Tartarus. Now, once you figure out what Tartarus is, this passage just opens way up. And to its credit, the Catholic edition of the Revised Standard Version has a tiny little, I believe it's a small C by hell in verse 4. And if you look down in the footnotes, it will say Tartarus. And to their credit, again, the reason they didn't say Tartarus is because nobody would know what they're talking about. But once you know what Tartarus is, then all of a sudden a landscape opens up in front of us. Well, Tartarus was a name given to the abyss beneath Hades in Greek mythology where their fallen immortals like the Titans were cast in judgment. And what Second Peter is doing is using this word in agreement with the first book of Enoch, and we're going to talk about Enoch when we get to Jude, after we get done with Second Peter, and it's using the word in agreement not only with the book of Enoch, but with Greek mythology. This was common knowledge. Tartarus was common knowledge when Peter wrote Second Peter. That's why he used Tartarus, because those who were pagans, those who were believers, understood what this was talking about, and he was talking about the fallen angels. Now, just bring this forward today, a lot of Catholic and Protestant classical education boast about studying mythology, and unfortunately, most teachers don't have the slightest clue of what they're teaching, because these aren't just pagan myths as we associate with something just a story made up that's untrue. No, these are myths which are pagan distortions of something true and something that was based on actual events, things that went on in Genesis chapter 6. You say, what went on in Genesis chapter 6? Well, that's why I devoted episodes 222, 223, 224, and 225 to Genesis 6. Because when you get to the New Testament, you can't understand what the first pope is talking about, and the translators have to put it in a footnote because generally today, um, Scripture scholars were quite ignorant of this, unfortunately. There's been a great turn of events in the last about 12 years of more and more Scripture scholars understanding what went on in Genesis 6, namely that angels, fallen angels, came to earth, cohabitated with human women, and produced giant offspring called the Nephilim. And just I'll pick a couple of scriptures describing this, but it's quite comprehensive in the scriptures. Sirach chapter 16 and verse 7. God was not propitiated for the ancient giants who revolted in their might. Verse 8. He did not spare the neighbors of Lot when he loathed on account of their insolence. So in Sirach chapter 16 and verse 7, it talks about the Nephilim, the ancient giants who revolted in their might. 
That was verse 7. And the next verse talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, talks about the angels who sinned, cast into Tartarus, these pits. And then the very next verse in 2 Peter, after verse 5, verse 6, starts talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, just exactly like the book of Sirach does. Now, here's something that should just open the horizon. First of all, we understand that the battle between David and Goliath is a whole lot more than a children's Bible story about a little guy beating up a big guy. No, David and Goliath were prefiguring the climatic battle that was to come in the New Testament between the son of David, Jesus Christ, and the enemies of the people of God, ultimately Satan. This is the battle of spiritual warfare, and a lot of folks aren't at all aware that what the Greeks thought were great heroes and all this type of thing were actually fallen demons. This is where you need to be careful in classical education. But in any case, we go to 1 Chronicles chapter 20, and I realize not a lot of people make their Bible devotions in 1 Chronicles 20, but in verse 6, it says there was war again in Gath, okay? Gath was a pit of Nephilim. It says, where there is a man of great stature. Listen to his descriptions. He had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, okay? This giant in Gath was a genetic mutant left over from the sin that went on in Genesis 6. And it says he was also descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, who was uh, David's close friend, he slew him. And he says these were descendants from the giants in Gath. Okay? That was First Chronicles 20. Then you go to 1 Samuel 17, the battle of David and Goliath, and you have the two standing on each side. It says in verse 4 of 1 Samuel 17, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. Goliath wasn't the only one. He was the chief warrior from a pit of warriors, of giant warriors, and whose height was six cubits and a span. He was a mutant too. He was a hybrid uh, left over from the cohabitations of angels and human women. And so what David and Goliath are prefiguring is the three-year ministry of Jesus and the climatic spiritual warfare going on and, and I emphasize, and the spiritual warfare that will go on in the end times. Genesis 6 is critical for understanding all of biblical prophecy, spiritual warfare, and as you're going to see in the next episode, perhaps some very significant things for our day. Justin Martyr said in his second apology, but the angels transgressed and were captivated by the love of women and begat children, and besides, they afterwards subdued the human race to themselves. Uh, Tertullian, an early church father, said, 
There are carcasses of the giants of old time. It will be obvious enough that they are not absolutely decayed, for their bony frames are still extant, even lately in this very city. In other words, there were still skeletons remaining from the giants, and then most especially from Josephus in his Antiquities 3.1, and again, this is for the undiscerning teachers and students of mythology. He says, for many angels of God accompanied with women begat sons that proved unjust and despisers of all that is good on account of the confidence they had in their own strength. For the tradition is that these men did what resembled the acts of those whom the Grecians, the Greeks, call giants. And we don't want to teach our children to admire fallen angels who transgress the very structure of God and brought rebellion to the world and resulted in the flood. And Jesus says, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And we don't want to think these are heroes. The scripture is saying, no, these are the worst of the worst. And Tartarus was the very lowest place in the world. It was the lowest place in hell, so to speak, in the abyss. And they were consigned in judgment there. We should start with Genesis 6 and 2 Peter 2 before we even think about studying Greek mythology. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 299 of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at luke21.com.